Today we're wrapping up our series, The Light. The first week we talked about Jesus is the light. Last week we talked about we are the light. And this week we're wrapping up uh, by talking about guarding the light, not to be confused again with the soap opera, The Guiding Light. Even though I did think I needed some theme music behind us when we talked. No. Guarding the light. Turn with me in your Bible over to Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm intrigued by this uh, man, Nehemiah, prophet, um, right hand to a king, that it was a call that God placed on his life to go rebuild the walls. Yeah, go ahead and go to the first part of your Bible. There's called this uh, context. Contents right here, and you can find Nehemiah. Let's see, in the good book here. Where is he at? Mm, page 408, okay? So if you've got a good Bible, it's page 408. Don't ever, ever be embarrassed to flip to the contents in your Bible. Right after Ezra, yeah. Who would, who would remember besides you, Pastor Neil, where Ezra is in the Bible? That's one of those books someone asks you, hey, did you read in Ezra? It's like, I don't even think that's in the Bible. Is that a book in the Bible? Ezra. No, Nehemiah. It's here that God began to birth in his heart a rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And he began to inspire the course. I'm not going to go through the whole, I mean, this is a story you need to read from chapter 1 on. It's just amazing in how it lays out, but he inspired the people to begin building, but then came opposition. Have you ever stepped out for God and then came opposition? Duh, right? If you're just sitting back on your couch eating bonbons and watching daytime soaps, who's going to bug you? The enemy's like, yeah, you go ahead and do that. You comfortable? Yeah, you go ahead and do it. There's no opposition in that. It's when you begin to step out and do what God has placed on your heart. Then came opposition. And the opposition came to them by these surrounding forces. They first began to attack them with discouragement through criticism. First through words. Boy, the enemy can attack you through words. Sometimes it's words in your own mind. Yeah, you guys hear those voices. I know you do. I do. Sometimes it's the voices in your own head. And then if that's not enough to discourage you, then other people. The enemy will bring other people. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Criticizing you. That's not what we do. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? Then if that doesn't frighten you to stop you from stepping out for God, then the threats of physical attack. Do you know that what's going to happen to your family if you do that? Do you know if you step out what's going to happen to you? You can't do that. What are you doing? So the same thing happened here to Nehemiah when God placed on his heart, it's time to step out, it's time to take that step of faith. That first opposition came from the voice, uh, criticism, discouragement, and then threats of physical attack. Nehemiah, though, he kept his focus on God and his mission. In other words, he said, not by my might, but by your power. This can be done. I'll keep my focus on you, God. 
I know what you've called me to do, and I'm going to put my hands to the plow, and I'm going to get to doing it. And he continued to spur God's people on in their work. So look over with me at chapter 4. I just want to read a snapshot of what's going on here. Starting in verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when, well, these guys and these other people heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard by day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is given out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said before we know it or before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then Jews who lived near us came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They were getting threats all over the place from people within their own camp. We can't do this. What are we doing? We can't continue to do this. You will feel like everybody in the world is against you when you begin to step out for God, even the people that you thought you could lean on. Therefore, Verse 13, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He did a Mel Gibson without the mooning part. Come on, we can do that. Boy, you need some of those people in your life. Come on, don't listen to them. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each one of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will fight for us. But notice the picture, but we have to stand together, and God will fight we have to put our sword on our side. We have to be doing the work and we have to stand together. Then our God 
will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding the spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. They were prepared all the time. Be prepared in season and out of season. Have your sword with you. Be doing the work of the ministry. Stand with other believers and don't get discouraged because then God will fight for us. I gotta put that microphone down. I can't open this bottle of water with my hand. I'm so thirsty, Kurt. I'm like, I need a drink. There is great work. There is a great work which we have been called to do. It's not one of luxury or laziness or complacency. It's a great work, and it's called guarding the light. I read this last week. Each believer whose heart has been set ablaze by the fire of God is like a lighthouse that shines for the welfare of those seeking spiritual shelter from the stormy turmoil of life in this temporal world. Boy, that's important. Don't forget, the things that you see are temporary. When all you feel is being attacked by this person or that person or this thing, and every time I step out, this happens and that, it's just temporary. It's a blink in the eye of your heavenly Father who has everything under control. And I have to remind myself of that. I mean, we've been praying earnestly for our oldest son. He wants a better job. He wants a, a different job. And he thought he found it. And we were praying. And thank you, Lord, that this is going to be it. And then he called me the other day and he said, well, I didn't get it. And I started to get discouraged. And I'm like, wait a minute. I say it. We believe that God is in control, don't we? We believe that he opens doors and shuts doors, don't we? We have to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Remind ourselves what's true from what's feelings. And so I had to remind him. I had to remind myself. The fact is God is in control. God has the perfect place for you. So obviously that wasn't it. Oh, okay. Hey, that's simple. Instead of wallowing around, oh, Lord, that was it. That was, what did we do? Why did I do wrong? Why didn't I get that? No, shake it off. Believe that this life that you see is under God's control. If you're a believer, you've got to believe that. He says the steps of a righteous man are ordered. He says, go and I'll be right behind you and telling you, hey, Go left. Go right. You can go this way. Okay, this is good. Oh, beep, beep, beep. Back up. Now go this way. Oh, okay. I have to remind ourselves, God's in control. It had nothing to do with my message. Anyway, allow me to read this to you. In the early days before modern improvements and technical aids, lighthouse keeping was a dangerous and difficult occupation. 
The light had to be maintained continuously for the safety of the ships. Many lighthouse keepers, their families, and their assistants lost their lives in the line of duty as hurricanes swept over the islands, and sometimes even poorly constructed towers would tumble down into the sea in severe winds. The stories of their devotion to their work and the safety of others is truly inspiring. Lives were at stake, and they refused to abandon their posts. History tells the story about a lighthouse keeper's wife, Maria Bray, who had to take over her husband's job when he could not return home because of a ferocious storm, snowstorm, that descended upon the twin lights of Thatcher's Island, Massachusetts. In 1864, Maria had to climb 156 steps to maintain the light in one tower and then trudge 300 yards, three football fields, through the howling winds and driving snow to repeat the same service in the other tower, another 156 steps in that tower, which she did for three days and nights. Like the lighthouse, our lights must beam continuously for the spiritual welfare of others, no matter how difficult it becomes to guard that light. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Think about some of the amazing people from the faith that gave their all to defend the gospel and keep it from the yeast of the Pharisees. Hebrews 11 retells their heroic battles with less than picture-perfect endings. and Well, so our flesh would say. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were killed by the sword and others were sawed in two. The stories of the dedication of those lighthouses for Jesus challenges my complacency. But let's not just stop at the difficulties of guarding the light. Hebrews also retells the incredible victories won for those who stood strong in the face of opposition. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, raised the dead, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and overcame countless armies. There's not always difficulties. And sometimes, most of the time, the victories far outweigh the difficulties. We must guard the precious light of God's word no matter how hard the storms of this life may batter us. When Jesus comes again, he will gather to himself all those lights of his that have shone so faithfully in service. These are the lighthouses that he recognizes in the darkness that he will reward and restore to shine as glorious lights in his kingdom. So it's our duty our responsibility to keep our light shining brightly for all to see. Lives are at stake, and we can't afford to abandon our posts. I remember, um, I don't know when it was, maybe 10, 12 years ago, 
It seemed like every time I turned around, there was another pastor, another leader that was taking time off. And ministry leaders were backing away. Oh, well, I've done my time. I just need some time to, you know, myself. In other words, quitting here and quitting there. And I remember getting in an argument with God. It's not fair. This is hard work. How come you allow them to quit? I want to quit. It's hard. There is no other job. I've done a lot of jobs in my life. I've done a lot of jobs, and not one compares to the exhausting, exhausting spiritual, emotional, and physical strain that's on a pastor or a ministry leader. Nothing compares to it. And I got so upset. God, how come you allow other people to just step away? And yet when I even try to entertain that thought, I get arrested with the feeling that how dare you? Was it not enough that I took those beatings on my back, that I put that crown of thorns on my head, that I hung on that cross, that I had those nails driven in my hands and my feet, that I stayed there until I drowned in my own blood and my lungs filled up with blood and gasp out, Father, forgive them. That you think the ministry's too hard? And I'd fall to my knees, oh, forgive me, God, I'm so sorry, you're right. Why do I think that it's going to be some luxurious thing? That ministries and, oh, carry me on your shoulders, woohoo, all hail, here we come. No. It's about servanthood. It's about dying to self. It's about giving all for all. It's not about us and what we can get and what we can gain and what will come our way so our life is happy. I can't find that anywhere in the scripture. It's so that we pick up our cross, die to self, shine our light, fight with all our strength for his name's sake, so others can walk across us to him. It has nothing to do with, I want to live a happy, peaceful life. Good luck with that. I don't see that anywhere in here where that's the mission of his church. It's a great work, but guarding the light is a responsibility. It's our duty, and we're called to not abandon our post. But let me remind you, like Nehemiah just showed us, we're not alone. And God will fight for us, but there's conditions. That we step out, we do the work, we carry the sword, we do the work, and we stand beside each other. Then he said when the enemy attacks, don't worry, stand together, keep doing your work. I'll fight this one for you. I got this. Hebrews 10, 32 and 39 through 39 says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, 
Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, quote, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So when you feel like this is getting tough, maybe I need to just back away. Maybe I need to sit down. Maybe I just need to take time for myself. You better make sure that you have a conversation with God that says, I can shrink back. See how that one goes. I just need time to retreat. I can't stand that word. It had all the great implications of a time to refresh and rejuvenate, but retreat is just should not be in our vocabulary. We are advancing, advancing, advancing. We are not among those who will shrink back. And actually, the Bible says that we're supposed to spur one another along. Spur. We raised horses. That's not a pleasant task. What well, is for the one sitting on the horse? It doesn't feel good being the one that's under the spur. Spur one along. Just in case you don't know, spurs are those nice pokey things on the back of the cowboy boots that clink when they walk. But they're not for decoration. They're actually to spur that horse along. If it doesn't want to keep the pace, they actually kick into the flank of the horse, which is a very sensitive area, not to like gouge and bleed. Okay, animal rights activists, don't stone me here. It's spurring isn't to cause bleeding or wound them eternally. Now, how would they keep riding if they do that? Spurring is to, to give them a gentle reminder. Hey, I'm the one in charge. Keep going. Hey, hey. It's kind of like, have you ever had one of your kids come up? Hey, mom, 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 I actually was talking to a lady, and she was holding this, I don't know, maybe two-year-old, maybe three-year-old, a pretty big kid. While she's carrying on a conversation, this kid's slapping her in the face. Mom, 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 mom. And she's ignoring talking to me. And I'm finally, I'm like, I can't take it anymore. Answer this kid. I'm like, mom, mom, mom. Like, huh, what is she saying? What, what, what? But really, that's what we need. We need somebody to go, hey, 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 where are you going? Hey, hey, what are you doing? Hey, hey, don't go that way. Spurring one another along. Keep you focused. Keep you under the authority of God. Reminding you, we're going this way. Hey, 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 where are you going? Over here. Spur one along. So I want to encourage you today to put on those cowboy boots. 
Make sure the spurs are on there. You better not have got that in your picture. <sighs> These people. And look around. Don't be the kind of Christian that smiles and nods at the person and then later comes and tells a pastor, I saw that one coming. I knew they were doing wrong. Because it's your responsibility to spur each other along. Actually, that's Hebrews 10, 23 and 25 says, let us hold unswervingly. How do you like that word? Unswervingly. So not, oh, where are we going? Let's go over here. Let's, what are you doing tomorrow? I don't know. What are you doing next year? Oh, I don't know. Let us hold unswervingly. That means a determined focus to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as most are in the habit of doing, he says, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It really is easy to stay home on Sundays and sleep in. Do you think I like getting up? I like to sleep. Do you think I like getting up early to spend time with God? No. I don't like my flesh. Don't like it. But spur one another on. Help each other. Come on, you can do that. This is te- these things are temporal. What we're doing for the kingdom is eternal. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. And let me just say, if you buck at the spur, it was probably a sore spot. So if somebody says, hey, what are you doing? You're like, what do you mean, what am I doing? What are you doing? that back? No. Consider. Now let's go from this angle. And let's look at that again. Because that was a sore spot. Something's not right there. So let's look at something wrong there. You need to look at that again. So if you feel yourself, and here let me just say it personally, if you feel yourself getting defensive immediately, somebody says something about fill in the blank. Might be a sore spot. But that's okay. Jesus can heal all. He heals all. All right, here it is. Guarding the light. Your responsibility as a believer is to guard the word of God, which is the light of Christ. And I want to tell you, there's five things that you need to do to guard the light. Five things, Jacob. You got that, buddy? You're writing that down. Five things. Five things. You ever miss anything? during the message and you didn't get that in your notes, just ask Jacob because he has them all written down for you. He asked me one time, why do you pick on me so much? Because you're this close from being a man, Jacob. That means I only have this much more time to get everything I can into you, buddy. So we're working overtime on you. 
All right, here's these five things. First thing, receiving and obeying the light. Receiving the light and obeying the light is just one. Receiving it, obeying it, which talks about, number one, the first time, salvation. When you receive the light, when you ask for Jesus, come into my darkness, come into my life. I want to make you leader and Lord of my life. That's receiving the light. But then it's talking about a continued walk, that every day when you pick up the word of God, that you are receiving a brighter light, more knowledge, more wisdom. And you need to not just be hearers, but be doers, receiving and obeying. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. When you just listen to it, you're deceiving yourselves. Do what it says. Second thing, hide it in your heart. Hide it in your heart. Get the word in your heart. Write it, know it, know it, and then know it some more. Psalms 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. When you know what the word says, you'll know what you're supposed to do. It's also talking about when it's hiding in your heart, when get it inside you. It's talking about the Holy Spirit as well. Remember we talked last week about the oil of the Holy Spirit within you will keep that light burning. Acts 1.8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The third thing, proclaim that light. Shine that light. Hold that light out for others to see. This is also in your testimony. It's real simple to just share with people what God's done in your life. And you don't need to get out your soapbox and stand up on it and put a sandwich board on you and start proclaiming a three-point message. It's simply just sharing with them what God's done in your life. That's testimony. That's proclaiming it. That's shining the light. I got that stupid tattoo on the back of my neck because I got sick of wasting time in lines and not being able to share with people. This has brought more conversations, and I'm not, I'm not telling you to go get a tattoo. Please don't. I'm going to get a tattoo. Pastor told me I have to. It's just something I did. But that has brought more conversations in grocery store lines. I worked, I helped out a friend who owned a restaurant down in Marshall, and I was helping and. Every time I walked through the kitchen, the cooks would start whispering. And I thought, oh, because, you know, the pastor's just here, pastor. Because was, that was a dark restaurant. Anyway, finally, one of the cooks had enough boldness as I was picking up the food. And he goes, hey, hey, what's that thing on the back of your neck? I said, what? What is it? What? I thought it was, I don't like spiders. He's like, no, what does that mean on the back of your neck? And I looked around, and I thought, well, I got time. So I shared with them how Jesus brought me from my pit that I was in and how he cleaned me up and loved me enough and reached out. And, I mean, I just laid it right out there for him. And so I'm like, any more questions, guys? 
And he's like, no, I tell you, I had a deeper relationship with those guys. When they needed something, they didn't call themselves. They were so far from calling themselves a Christian. But I'd have those guys grab a hold of me. Hey, my mom's going in for surgery next week. Will you do that thing that you do? I'm like, what do I do? You know what you do. I just liked hearing them say it. I'm like, what? What do I do? You know. You know where you talk to God and make sure that she don't die. I said, well, I can't make sure she dies, but we will pray for her. Let's pray for her right now. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't watch. Shining your light is not some big, you don't have to know it all. You just have to tell them what you've been through. That's shining the light. This is part of guarding the light. Because the light does no good if you stick it under the table. If you light it up and hide it in your house. Because that light is so others can come to Christ. So proclaim it. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. We shared this last week. You're getting this, right? A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And let me just paraphrase. Here's Brenda's version of that. Not good deeds like, oh, you're so good. But just what God's done in your life. That's it. You know, and I always throw in that I am not perfect. I am by no means attained the goodness of God. This side of heaven, I don't think any man will. I said, but I hope to strive for and earnestly seek a relationship with my Savior that I can say to anyone, follow me as I follow him. And we'll get there together. Shine your... Where did I just go? I just lost my message. Oh, there she is. So receiving and obeying it, hiding it in your heart, proclaiming it. The fourth one is defending it. You guard against anything or anyone that would try to extinguish or diminish even the light within you. I mean, think about it. If you have a little candle and it's burning, what do you do? You just walk around. <laughs> no, what do you do? That's right. You guard it. You put it because you don't want anything to it out, right? Shall we sing again? Do you want to do that? Kirk is like, yeah, do it, Brenda. He loves seeing me embarrass myself, right? You defend it. You defend it. And now I am not one. I do not like arguing over the word. I have no, no place in my heart at all. Nothing within me wants to argue the word. I'll share with you my testimony. I'll share with you what I can read in context from the Word. I can share with you what I've learned through my Bible studies that line up with this Word. But I will in no way argue God's Word. I, I don't, again, personal preference, um, I, I don't just don't think it's necessary. Um, you share the Word. God says you sow the seed. And he'll take care of the rest. Um, 
if somebody starts, well, I don't want, if they start getting out, they want to talk and look up and search, that's one thing. But if they start getting all defensive about it and argumentative about it, I'm done. So, well, that's okay. Because what's the scripture that says if they don't agree, if they don't understand yet? What was that? Yeah, God says that's okay. Don't worry. He'll make them understand that later. Whether this side of heaven or on your knees before the throne, we're all going to come to the full truth. So no need to get all worked up about it. But anyway, defend it. what I'm talking about defending it is guarding people from trying to blow out your light, from extinguishing your light from what you know. So, I mean, if somebody says, well, I don't believe that in the Bible, well, let me just tell you my testimony, what God's done in my life. Who can argue what has happened? If Missy stood up and I asked her, Missy, what did you do yesterday? And she told me, well, I milked a goat. I... You know, whatever, I did this, I did that. And I could, no, you didn't. She'd go, uh, yeah, I did. No, you prove it. Uh, well, nobody was at home, but I have milk in my refrigerator. You're a lie, I don't believe that. You know, they can't, come on. You can't argue somebody's testimony. You can't argue what God has done in them. I mean, I remember I was young, and I fell off a horse. He shattered my elbow, a thousand pieces. And actually, when they went, and I remember sitting in there, and they said, she's never going to have full use of her arm again. We're going to have to put pins in her. She's going to have to go through physical therapy. Uh, I think maybe I was eight, nine, maybe ten years. I think I was in fourth grade. Yeah, I was in fourth grade because we lived in Olivet. And Dad was, you know, all... You know, I remember him saying, well, what do you think? Because, I mean, I was a prayer warrior. I was at the altar all the time. And I said, I believe God's going to heal me, and I don't, I don't need a surgery. And Mom and Dad said, well, you heard her. And so every Sunday, every, whenever we was at church, I was at the altar with my little cast on, and, you know, praying, pray it, pray for it, pray. They even said that I was, my hand was going all cross, and I was going to be like this the rest of my life. Look it. No one can tell me God did not heal my arm. Nobody can say God does not heal. Well, really? What's this? I even got the little bat wing going. I'm not like this. You can't say God doesn't heal to someone who's received God's healing. You can't tell me God don't clean up trash. You can't tell me you're too bad for God to save you. There is no arguments there. What happens, diminishing the light, somebody trying to extinguish your light, is when they start arguing over doctrine. Um, 50 million rules. What's right? What's wrong? Can I ask a wife and a husband what's right and what's wrong in their relationship is going to be what's right and what's wrong in somebody else's relationship? I mean, there's going to be some biggies, hopefully. 
there's going to be some biggies that are like, duh, statements. You know, you can't sleep with somebody else. But there are some, some things that we're learning, even in our group, through five love languages, that some couples, you know, grow on and get encouraged by. The other couples are like, that means nothing to us. You know, acts of service, nothing to me. I'd rather sit on the couch and leave the house dirty, and that's something to me. So what I'm telling you is your testimony, when you're defending it, don't get caught up in the arguing over it. Just tell them what's for my life. This is what God's speaking to me right now. And you defend that. You defend that. Nobody can tell you what you didn't do yesterday, right, Missy? Right. Defend that. Uh, Jude 1.3 says, well, 1.3, there's only one chapter in Jude. <sighs> says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to, to contend for the faith. Easy for you to say. To contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Contend for the faith. Matthew Henry says that this faith is delivered by God. It's his word. And it's neither negotiable nor changeable. It's black and white. And then the fifth thing is demonstrating its power in the Holy Spirit. Demonstrating the power of this light through the Holy Spirit. That will spark the light in other people's. Miracles are for who? The unbelievers. I mean, God wants to heal all. But it's supposed to spark the light in the unbeliever saying, what is going on? What is going on? And there's even what I heard, uh, oh, Catherine Coleman. I just finished reading a book by Catherine Coleman. And she said, sometimes God does mercy healings, which is not even to somebody who has the faith to believe for it. He just pours his healing on them and they walk up. She said, I've had people walk up to me and say, you know, what is this? What did I, what just happened to me? I walked in and I had a limp. Now I don't have a limp anymore. What is this? They didn't even know what the healing was. They just heard people were doing something in this one big auditorium. You need to go check it out. Something going on. It's demonstrating the power of that light. You allow the light in you to spark the light in others. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5 says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, and I'm so glad you know that about me. But I believe that this ministry and this pulpit will be a place that demonstrates the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That it's not who prays for you. It's not who preached. It's God. Period. Holy Spirit's power. So let me encourage you to take precautions when guarding the light. Um, and I wanted these things up here for a reason. So that throughout this year, that you'll look at it and you'll be reminded. That stuff like um, this breaking wall that's on the side here. Why do we put up walls? Why do we put up fences to protect us? Why are there guardrails around the roads in certain spots? 
Thank you. So smart. It's to remember who stays in and who stays on that side. Keep good in, keep bad out. That these walls should remind you that you need to set up or rebuild the walls in your own life. That in my house, we will not allow this to come in. That in my house, and I'm saying this for you and me, we won't allow this to happen inside our house. Our house is going to be a, a place of peace, of rest, of God's mercy, lifting the Lord's name up. That we establish margin in our life. Do you know what happened? Elijah went from confronting all those false prophets to running from one little old lady. Why? Simply tired. Just got tired. When you allow, when you set up margin in your life, these fences in your life that keep good in, keep bad out, it's setting up margin. You need a time to rest. You need a time, downtime. You need a place to restore, refresh. You can't imagine going from Sunday, hopefully, from Sunday to Sunday and never praying or reading the word on your own. You're going to be running from all the little old ladies. Or just one. It's going to scare you. You have to build margin in your life. You have to put up guardrails in your life to keep you from getting too close to the edge. These breaking walls should be able to remind you that, oh yeah, when I'm guarding the light, there's a precaution I need to take in building walls in my life. Setting up guardrails. The anchor here that you see should remind you that all your hope, all your trust should be anchored to Christ. If he didn't say it, if it don't line up with his word, if my feelings seem to say something different, and let me remind you, you need to anchor your hope and your trust in God, in his nature, and not in his provision. Because if you're just looking for what's in his hand, you're neglecting who he is. And if all my kids wanted is what I could give them and not just wanted me, that wouldn't be a very good relationship. So all your hope, all your trust needs to be in his nature, not just his provision. So you might not see it. Does that mean it's not true? You have to choose fact over feelings. Like I said earlier, you need to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Did God say? Yes. Then he will. That's all I need to know. But I don't see it. I don't feel it. It doesn't change the fact. Did God say he will do this? Then he will do that, whether I see it in my time or not. He will. My hope, my trust needs to be anchored on that, on facts, not feelings. The lighthouse should remind us that we need to keep our focus on Jesus. When we're out there in the sea and when we're shining our light and rescuing those out to sea, 
We need to be able to see the harbor and know at any time there's Jesus. That's where I'm heading back to. Come on, follow me. We're going this way. We can do this. When the attacks come at you, I'm going to set my focus on God. I'm going to set my focus on doing what he's called me to do. Like a lighthouse. Shake off anything that might slow you down or tangle you up. Because you cannot swim when you have more than what's necessary on. What's going to happen to you? I mean, I always used to get mad when I'd watch those rescue, you know, shows and the guys are taking the time to take off the boots, take off the jacket. and Well, let's just stop there. Anyway, and dive in. I'm like, you just wasted four or five seconds and you needed to be in there. But if you would have jumped in there with all that stuff on, he would have went down too. You need to shake off anything that might slow you down or pull you down. Shake it off. Keep your focus. And the, the life ring here. Now, let me just say, this needs to be in somebody else's hand. You need to make sure you set up an accountability friendship with somebody. Guys with guys, girls with girls. That should be a duh statement too. So that that person loves you enough, if you start going down or going adrift, that they toss you that life ring and say, whoa, back here. And you've given permission for that person to say that and do that in your life. They're the one person that you can't get defensive with. Somebody else. you, But you need to give them permission to do that. You need to go and find somebody you can hand that life ring to and say, this is my life ring. You have all authority in my life. To tap me on the shoulder, say, excuse me, where are you going? We're supposed to be going this way. What are you doing? Well, I'm hanging out at the bar, but I'm only drinking a Coke. Well, at 1.30 in the morning might not be the best time for you. Permission. Here's my life ring. If you see that I'm starting to drift away, that that person, those accountability people, will have permission to throw you the life ring, get you out of dangerous situations that you might have gotten yourself into unknowingly. Let's just put it all out there. Here it is, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I like. I hear people always say, well, I just can't not do this. I just not. I just. I have. To, I just can't say no to this. Really, because the Bible says it teaches us. God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to be able to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So do I go by my feelings or the fact? This is a fact. God does teach us to say no. So there it was. There's the five. There's the precautions. Here it is. Uh, concluding remarks. And I promise this was going to be a short message. Really, I kept thinking, wow, we're going to get through this message in like 20 minutes. It's only been 22. Don't look at your watch. Concluding remarks. You cannot substitute your responsibility with your resources. You cannot substitute your responsibility with your resources. You also can't separate your resources from your responsibility. Over the years, I've heard people say, well, some people go and some people send. That's not true. I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I believed that for a long time, but I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. The only place I see is that we have all been commanded and commissioned to go and make disciples. Doesn't say, now some of you I'm commanding to go and make disciples, and some of you I'm commanding to just sit there in the church, in the pew, and just send the other ones. I didn't find that any. Pastor Neil, did you find that somewhere? You cannot separate, you cannot substitute your responsibility with your resources, but you also can't separate your resources from your responsibility. You can't say, well, I'm going to donate my time to the church once a week, helping Pastor Denny with youth, so that's my tithe. No, it's not. That's my offering. No, it's nice, and that's a responsibility, but that's not what your commit. Your resources are something different. Time, talent, and treasure. Time, time, what I give. Talent, what God's given me and my resources, everything I can touch. It's all required. It's all required. Dennis Waitley said, there are two primary choices in life, to accept conditions as they exist or accept the responsibility for changing them. So, que sera, sera? Or, I uh, don't think so. I'm going to do something about this. And you control how bright your lamp is. Only you. You control how bright your lamp is. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, He is most holy who has most of Christ within. Abiding, not striving or struggling. It's not a striving to have faith, not a struggle to increase your faith, not a struggle at all but a looking to the faithful one, looking to Jesus, is all we need. You control how bright your light is. And when the darkness seems to push in on you, focus on building a brighter light, but not as one who's fighting the air, trying to, oh, come on, burn brighter. It's like, well, there's Jesus, and he's got quite the flame going, so if I just bring my little candle closer to him, I'll get that burning a little bit brighter. I'll go back out again. Oh, it's starting to wear. I'm going back again. 
So when you see that your light is starting to diminish, don't work on trying to make your little light look better. Focus on getting closer to God, and he'll blow on that. He'll fan that flame. So here it is. As we close, Amy, if you can come back up. There's three things I want to pray for tonight. As today, Why do I keep saying tonight? I'm so tired. Anyway. <laughs> three things I want to focus on at the prayer. Um, over this last week, preparing this message, I have been shook to the core that miracles are going to happen today. That healings are going to be manifested today. But there's nothing that I can do or a prayer team can do. It's between you and God. You, because we don't hold the healing power. We can pray with you. And God actually showed me this picture. So I'm like, I don't even understand. Why do you choose to use us? <laughs> it's just, I mean, you've got all power. You could just go zap, 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 zap. Why he chooses to partner with us. And how does that really work? And I seen all of a sudden like this picture in my mind of God sitting on his throne. Jesus sitting at his right hand. Remember the Bible says he lives to intercede for us. He's constantly praying for us. Praying for us. And that then when... He sent his Holy Spirit to partner with us, paracletes. That means it's a partnership that's intertwined together as if one is moving. That when we have somebody stand in front of us or wherever, anyway, and they're sick, they need healing. Jesus is praying to the right hand of the Father. I did everything. I took every stripe on my back. I already purchased their healing. They are healed. And when I or anyone else or even you stand up, open up your hands and say, in the name of Jesus, it's as if the Holy Spirit sends this electrical current through you to the heavenly throne room of God and seals it. It's done that fast. It's boom, boom, boom. But we're the one that has to turn that light switch on or leave it off. Well, I don't feel healed. Well, God, I know you can heal other people, but I don't know about me. I've suffered with this one for so long, God, I don't know. We haven't even opened up the current. We've got to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. we got to believe fact versus feelings and say yes. And the minute we do that, it's that electrical shock that runs through us to him that seals it in the name of Jesus. And let me just do that. As we're closing, I want to build your faith up. And this is what you need to do. Every time you're wanting to believe God for something, start speaking the facts. Start speaking his word to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Ask yourself, do you believe Jesus is God's son? Do you believe what God says is true? Do you believe if God says he will do something that he is faithful to do it? 
Is he capable of doing it? Do you believe that Jesus healed all that came to him sick or suffering? Do you believe the words that Jesus spoke? Greater miracles will you do. Do you believe God is strong enough and powerful enough to heal you of your sickness or to set you free from your bondage today? Do you believe that? For you, do you believe that? Isaiah 53.5 says, He was crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are or have been. It was already, already done. We have been healed. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, according to Matthew 9.35, teaching, proclaiming, and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 10.1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Not some, every. And in John 14.12, like I just quoted earlier, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am now going to my Father. He said, I've given you my name. Here's the Holy Spirit. I'm right here by my Father. When the three of us connect together with you, you will see greater works than even I did. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, Let me first ask you, if you're here today and you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you need to receive that light for the first time. Or maybe you just kind of let your light just burn out. And it's time for you to come back home. Just slip up your hand with nobody looking around and I want to pray for you right where you're at. see your hands I see your hands yep today's your day all you need to do is make a commitment in your heart between you and God it's not something that you just say but it's something that you are from the inside out God be the leader and Lord of my life forgive me for all my sins and today I commit to you all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, God. You, Lord. You, Lord. I will love, I will serve, and I will proclaim your name, Lord, as my Savior. From this day forward, it's a relationship that you began today. And walk it out. Do those things that I talked about on guarding the light, those five things. Hear the word. Do the word. Defend it. Guard it. Proclaim it. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but honestly, you've been um, keeping your light at home. Let's just say it that way. And you felt a tugging at your heart today that today's my day to get in. Get in and begin doing my part. Standing side by side 
and working with my brothers and sisters and doing the great work together. Let me just see your hand so I can pray with you. Yep. Yep. You're feeling the call. I need to step up. I need to take responsibility. I need to stand guard. I need to do this. Yeah, I see your hands. This is your day. Yes, we need each other. Yes. We can't do this alone. And you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. Father, right now you see the hands that went up. And God, right now I just pray that you begin to fan those flames. God, that you would build within this this tenacity, this drive of your Holy Spirit that keeps them pressing in, pushing forward and advancing the kingdom of God for your glory, for your name's sake, Lord, for your honor. God, we surrender to you to be all you've created us to be, all you've commissioned us to be, to take up our responsibility and fulfill the great commission you've commanded us to go and make disciples. Lord, it's our responsibility. Forgive us, Lord, that we've been lax in that. And now I ask, Holy Spirit, move right now as we're sitting here today. Move right now and stir up their hearts. Fan that flame. Stir them and strengthen them within. Oh, Lord, move, move, move. Move, move, move. And now I want to open up the altars. One, if you made a commitment to Jesus for the first time or recommitted today, come up to the altar and confirm it, proclaim it. Tell somebody about it. Get plugged in. I want everybody to stand up right where you're at. We're not closing the service. We're beginning the altar time. And you need to be a part of this. If for no reason than just to see God move, you want to stay. You'll want to stay. Right now, God, I know you've been calling, you've been telling me and other people that you're wanting to move. You want to move. You want to heal. God, right now we just build ourselves up in the faith. You are the healer. You are our God. You are the one that has purchased everything we need. Lord, it doesn't matter how long we've been struggling with this. It doesn't matter how how far we've fallen. But God, you are in one second able to and willing to heal us, set us free, break this bond that's been holding us back. These chains will come off today. Healing will be, will be manifested today. We'll see it with our eyes because not of anything we've done, but because we've simply surrendered to you. Jesus, you're sitting right there, the right hand of the Father, praying for us, getting excited. I can feel heaven getting excited. Angels being stirred in ministry, ready to touch. Holy Spirit, you're eager, anticipating openness openness that's all we have to do is just receive God is big enough Jesus did heal 
all, and he gave us all authority to lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. So right now, prayer team, come on up front. I want to begin praying for, I want you, prayer team, to begin praying for. If you came in here sick, if there's something you've been struggling with, come up to the front because today's your day. Yep, Cherie, come here. Yep. Today's your day to get set free. Today's your day to get healed. Don't hold back. Don't wait. God is already here. He's already ready to start praying. Go ahead, prayer team. I've got anointing oil right here if you need.